the American League Championship. I don't believe it. It just continues. My oh. High fly ball into right field. She is gone. The drives one. Yeah, that intro gets me fired up. I hope everyone else gets fired up for that, too. It's the FSS Plus Podcast, Jason Churchill with Joe Doyle. Mr. Doyle, there have been a couple of... uh, So before we started this podcast about a month, month and a half ago, I asked for some podcast name suggestions, and I was looking at some before we got going here. So right off the topic, before we get into talking about the draft, talking about trades, uh, we're using FSS Plus as a placeholder. And I asked some folks, hey, if you have name suggestions, please... Um, but let me throw a couple at you from listeners. There's a couple of decent ones. There's a couple of funny ones. I think people are trying to be goofy. There's a couple of bad ones too. But let me just throw a couple at you and we'll mull some things over and I'll just think about it conceptually. But uh, Jeff in Ontario says we should call the show The Drop Third Strike. <laughs> I thought that was awesome because it's like, so are like we that. basically just the Drop Third Strike? Yeah. We're like, well, you did something good, but then you did something bad. <laughs> We are a couple of mistakes after all. (laughs) This is pretty good. Yeah. Mistake pitches might actually be the best name for the show. Uh, (laughs) Carrie in Lincoln, Nebraska says, how about hitters and splitters? So I kind of like that because there's some, it's Mm -hmm. short and and it's got baseball terms. We can't do either of those, but that's fine. I I can't. Well, (laughs) well, I mean, I can split. This is not the same kind of split. Uh, Jacob and Snoqualmie suggests, uh, how about here comes the Ephus? <laughs> that was pretty funny. Uh, uh, Patrick and Buffalo has a couple. He says, uh, <laughs> we should call the show Warning Track Power, which also was funny and very fitting for my days playing, or Sinkers uh, and Sliders, which is along the lines of carries, uh, hitters, and splitters. Uh, Kate in Culver City. Where the hell is Culver City? Is that California? Is that California? Yep. Kate says sure uh, she has she's she says I've got the winner. This is it. This is it. The upside play. So I do like that. Ooh. The problem is I think it's taken. I think it's taken. Mm-hmm. I think there's a podcast out there with that name but I do like that. So I'll check into that. What about uh, underslot talent? <laughs> I get it. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure talent really fits on anything that I'm involved in. <laughs> what about <laughs> budget senior signs? <laughs> how about uh, how about talent with a joker? Yeah. Um, you know what? I've always wanted to name a baseball podcast, and it it makes no sense. But I've always wanted to find a duo to call bangers and mash because it's just a good baseball duo name. It is. You know how you know how we do that. We hand this podcast over to a couple of former ball players. That's how we yeah, do it. A couple that. of Brits. You know, yeah. we could get Harry Ford on. He could be half of Bangers and Mash. He represents England. And can he be both? I don't. I think we need another Brit. We need another Brit. All right. Well, I'll work <laughs> on that. Um, we'll see if Kate Beckinsale is available. Um, I'll get my people. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> but the upside play. I think that's good. I'll, I'll check into that. I like that. Um, so there's some concepts concepts there worth uh, worth thinking about and, and considering that. So uh, keep sending those in uh, if you're interested in naming the pod. We'll find out a way to reward the person that uh, that suggests the name that we pick. Um, 
with some with some swag, with some gift cards, things like that. Um, so, Mr. Doyle, Joe, uh, we are just, and I can't believe this, we are three weeks away, dude, from the MLB draft. It's like three and a half weeks. I, I can't believe, I looked up at the calendar earlier this week and I went, it's freaking mid-June. How in the yeah. world did this happen? How did this happen? In fact, when we first started this show, it was the last week of April, and we are in the middle of June already. We're about three and a half weeks away. You have there's a ton of new content at futurestars.com by Mr. Doyle. Uh, we're talking about a new 2023 that goes 600 deep. Joe, really quick, tell me how many players are going to be drafted in the 2023 draft. Ooh. Uh, okay, it's either 613 or 616. You hit me on the spot, and I'm trying to remember. So if you've ranked. It'll be one of those two. So you've ranked 600 players. So there's a really good chance that 95% of the players that are drafted in three and a half weeks are on your board. That's remarkable. If so I'm at 95%, I would be. I would be thrilled if I'm at 70%. I would be thrilled. I mean, I've got 889 scouting reports written, so they're probably on the board Oof. somewhere. Yeah, but yeah, but I mean, honestly, there's so many JUCO guys and D3 guys and you know hidden kids in South Dakota that I miss. I mean, you sure. do your best, but 600 players. That is deep. So you can do yeah. your research. You can sort. You can read reports um, on players. The 2023 top 600. Maybe the best way to you can go to the front page at futurestarseries.com and get that. But as new stories get posted, you can just hover over the MLB draft um, drop down in the menu right there and get the top 600. Uh, also posted uh, this week, the 2024 top 100 high school prospects and the t- uh, the 2024 top 200 college prospects and the 2025 top 200 college. So you can find that all on the front page and by hovering over the MLB draft um, drop down in the menu at futurestarseries.com. Now there's a fresh mock draft up too, Joe. You've been busy. You've been busy this. You told me the other day, like your eyes were bleeding and your fingers were made of leather. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's really good stuff. I haven't, the one piece I haven't looked at is the 2025 top 200 yet. I haven't dove into that one. Dived, dove, dived dove. into that one. I haven't looked at that one yet. I'm going to avoid that one. I haven't looked at that one yet, but uh, I was looking at the mock and there's a new number one pick here. And before we go any further, let's remind folks that mock drafts are for discussions and conversations and to build scenarios, especially with weeks until the draft itself. This is not a pure projection, but Joe, it's not Dylan Cruz at 1-1. It's Max Clark this time. Take us through the idea here. Why Clark could go number one, why the Pirates might do something like that, even if they might agree with everyone else that Cruz is the best player in the class. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm not the first person to suggest this. Um, the Pirates aren't, the, this wouldn't be the first time that they've shaved a bunch of money off the top. The idea here is you're 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 allotted a certain amount of money that you can spend in any given draft. You can't go over that, that figure without penalty. So if you're looking to maximize how you can spread out that money and get the most bang for your buck, as they say, you take a player with the number one overall pick, you shave some money off, off of that first pick by not taking the quote-unquote 
prohibitive number one talent, if you want to call it that. And you're able to spend those savings in the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth. And Jason, as you and I were talking about before we even hopped on, this is not the first time the Pirates have taken that tact. In fact, two years ago, they did it aggressively. Now, what happened in that draft? Refresh my memory. uh, Let everyone know what exactly they did in that draft at the top. And what what were the savings, give or take? You may not have the figures in front of you, but how much did they save by not taking, well, the guy that probably should have gone 1-1, whoever that was? So in 2021, they took Henry Davis with the first overall pick. Uh, there was, I mean, there was a split camp on exactly who should go number one that year. Jack Leiter had his believers. Marcelo Meyer had his believers. Jordan Lawler had his believers. Uh, but they went with Henry Davis. Now, the value in 2021 for the number one overall pick was slotted at $8.4 million. Henry Davis cut a deal with the Pirates to go first overall. He probably would have gone somewhere in the four to nine range uh, had he not gone there um, for $6.5 million. So they saved $1.9 million with that first pick. And here's what it allowed him to do. Let me just pull this up here. They were able to splurge all over the rest of the draft. So uh, their second round pick had a pick value of two, $2 million. They spent $2.8 million and landed a premium high school talent in Anthony Solomedo. The third pick, Comp Round B, had a value of $1 million. They spent $1.5 million on Lonnie White Jr. Now, admittedly, Lonnie White's struggling a little bit, but that's going to come with any draft. Their third round pick, slot value of $870,000. They spent $3 million on Bubba Chandler, probably the mm-hmm. best two-way prospects that we've seen since now Bryce Eldridge so he had a lot of first round grades from folks did he not a ton a ton and you know what he's been really he's he's striking everyone out command was always going to be an issue still only 20 years old he's still struggling to command the the baseball but he's striking everyone out Anthony Solomedo is up to double a he's posting gaudy strikeout numbers some people think he's the next Madison Bumgarner and to his credit if you go back and look at the 2021 draft Henry Davis is right there with, you know, Jordan Lawler, Marcelo Meyer, and I, you know, besides those two, who are you going to put like like Matt McLean and Harry Ford? Like those are probably the top five players from that class, right? And he's on the brink of the big leagues. He's got to get healthy first, but he's moved up really quickly over the last two years. Henry Davis has, so you can see that working in Pittsburgh's favor. So fast forward to twenty twenty three. In a scenario where they don't go Dylan Cruz, uh, maybe it's Max Clark, like you mocked in your latest. What kind of savings are we talking about uh, at that particular uh, point? Uh, the slot in that spot is $9.7 million, and Pittsburgh has over $16 million to play with the most in the league this year. So if it's Max Clark over Dylan Cruz, are we talking about another million and a half to $2 million difference maybe? Well, yeah. So the short answer is yes. I, I do want to point out the new CBA had a new rule added where you have to offer someone 75% of their bonus pool so long as they attend the combine. And right. everyone in the first two or three rounds will attend the combine or at least, or at least be invited. Um, so they have to offer, say, Max Clark uh, 7.4 million dollars. I think that's right. the least they could, or maybe 7.3. Yeah, um, so like, the most they can really save. Three. Yep. 
yeah, the the most they can save here is two and a half million. And I, I mm-hmm. don't think Max Clark, knowing his advisor and his agent, I don't think they're going to go all the way down to that point. But I do think you could save two million here, get Max Clark and Max Clark. And I noted this in the mock, his, he's got a huge ego. Like this kid wants to be mm-hmm. considered the best and the label of going number one overall means a great deal to him. It meant a great deal to Henry Davis too. So I think you could cut a deal with Max for 7.7, save 2 million bucks. And then all of a sudden, just like 2021, you have 2 million extra dollars to spend somewhere else in the draft. And I tell you, man, there's some good talent that people are pretty iffy about whether or not someone's going to be able to pay them. So so you look at, I, let's let's yeah. take a look really quick on where Pittsburgh, so Pittsburgh, obviously they pick 1-1. One, one. Their next pick after that is at 42, the third pick of the second round. But then they have an extra pick uh, in the competitive balance round B at 67, the final pick of that round. But then they also pick six picks later. So after mm-hmm. the first pick, they go 42, 67, 73. They have some some opportunities there to essentially repeat what they did in 2022. Now, maybe throw out a name or two for for pick 42 and and 67 if you could. Somebody who might be a, you know, we expect him to be higher than slot if he gets to 42 if the player gets to 67. That would give Pittsburgh an opportunity where if they take Cruz and pay him 9.7 million dollars or thereabouts, they probably wouldn't have that opportunity because I think if you're a Pirates fan, you're thinking they didn't take Dylan Cruz, get out of here. This makes no sense, yeah. but it absolutely can make sense. And we just look back two years ago, it did make sense. Yeah, let me give you three names that I've heard the most of late as like guys that are going to be tough to sign. And the first one that pops out is Thomas White, Phillips Academy, six foot six inch lefty, committed to go to Vanderbilt. Most people think. This is most people. There are some that still think he's in that 11 to 20 range. Most people think he fits somewhere in the 25 to 40 range. My understanding is he is not going to be cheap. And it might take the right team in you know the second round, pick number 42 with a ton of savings, uh, to land a guy like, like Thomas White. It, you know, I think it's the type of guy that if he gets past the sand, sandwich round, you start asking, is, is anyone going to be able to pull this guy from Vanderbilt? Mm. So that, I mean, that... It's a lot like the Anthony Solomedo route, right? Solomedo, I believe, was committed to Duke or or Virginia, expected to be a tough sign. Uh, they landed him. Same with Bubba Chandler. Um, so Thomas White is the first one. Rock Chalowski is a shortstop out of Chandler, Arizona. Really talented two-way guy. His dad was a longtime scout for the Cincinnati Reds. Physical shortstop, projects to stick at the position. He's committed to UCLA. Heard he's going to be a little bit tough to sign. Kind of guys are up in the air on whether or not he's he's actually going to want to go pro, or if you know he comes from a, a an affluent baseball enough background to just go to college. And then the other one, and this one is I, I think the one that is really interesting, Johnny Farmello. You and I have talked about Farmello before. He has a steadfast commitment to the University of Virginia. Another extremely affluent family had a kind of roller coaster spring where got a little over anxious in the box, started swinging at bad pitches, but. And I put this in the mock to the Dodgers. I've talked to scouts who believe Johnny Farmel, there's nobody in the class that can rival his tools. 70 grade raw power, 70 grade run tools, and already going and getting it in center field. Um, so those those kind of raw tools will certainly intrigue some of the teams that you know are, are maybe in the second round. Um, but it kind of will come down to 
do you have the financial flexibility to, to swing for the fences on something like that? Very, very interesting. Uh, the pirates have a decision to make. Uh, it should be an easy one. They, they, they should, in my opinion, they should take Dylan Cruz, but um, there's some things we'll never really, well, we may never know, but we certainly don't know now. Is Dylan Cruz just slot? Does he just want to go number one so he'll take slot? What are the chances he takes 9-5 instead of 9-7 or 9-2 instead of 9-7? I would say probably not great, but he doesn't really have as much leverage as a, as a college player uh, that isn't a draft-eligible software. You don't have a ton of leverage because you don't want to go back to school, uh, play your senior year, risk having a worse year, risk getting hurt, and then come out as a senior, you have zero leverage. So it, like Cruz really doesn't have a ton of leverage here, but... Um, yeah. I would think about that. Like, like if I'm a Pirates fan, I'm just like, man, I just, just get me Dylan Cruz because he's probably in the big leagues in a year, year and a half, right? Like that, that's the whole idea with Dylan Cruz. And maybe Pittsburgh, that Pirates roster, starting to crest a little bit. And I'm kind of excited if I'm a Pirates fan. I, I don't really want to wait for Max Clark. So I, I completely understand that from a draft standpoint. Uh, when you're trying to put together draft classes and spend your money wisely and you take a high ceiling player with the number one pick i i get it i get it if i'm a pirates fan i'd be disappointed i think for a little while but then i'd probably fall in love with max clark so interesting stuff there hey i also notice paul Skeens gets to number five in your latest mock um to the twins the twins would probably do cartwheels if paul Skeens gets to them at five um what's the floor for paul Skeens? he's the draft's best arm pretty clearly the best arm What's the floor for him? Is five the floor for him? Or are there scenarios where he gets to, you know, seven or eight or nine? I mean, I have a hard time seeing him get past five. I have a really hard time seeing him getting to five. But just the way the last two mocks that I've filled out have have worked out, Paul Skeens is, has dropped to five. Um, I, you know, I, I don't think Texas is in on him at four. I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I haven't heard them connected to Paul Skeens at all, but that might just be because they're under the presumption they're, you know, he's not going to be available and, right. and they have just circled hitters. Um, Detroit, I've only heard hitters. I've only heard Walker Martin and I've only heard Wyatt Langford. So, you know, I just discount that Paul Skeens is in play there. And so if he's not one of the picks in the first two picks, he ends up at five. And I know that... Um, that Minnesota has always had an affinity for bats, specifically left-handed bats with power. There's quite a few of those in this class. So do I think it's possible he slips past five? Maybe. Uh, I wouldn't expect it, though. But there's, I don't think there's, you know, seven is definitely the floor. There's no no chance he gets past the Reds. Yeah, that'd be really interesting. I, I, I doubt he gets really past building. Oakland, too. They're really building something interesting there. Oakland Is Oakland yeah. tough to read at this point? Are they just business as usual, at least from a draft standpoint? There's so many things going on at the major league level. Are, are they harder to read this year? Is it pretty much kind of the same way they've always done it? I mean, they, they've had the same scouting director and people running the draft for like, it seems like 40 years, but I think it's been around 20. Yeah. So not a whole lot has changed there. Yeah. You know, what's funny is their scouting director is now, let's see, their scouting director was actually in the movie Moneyball. Mm -hmm. Eric Kubota, mm -hmm. um, he was one of the interns that was working for Billy Bean, just a fresh-faced 20-year-old kid in that movie. We remember um, the scene. So yeah, well, we remember that yeah. scene, right? Like, didn't Brad Pitt go in and say, Kubota, did you ever play ball? And he said, no. And he said, cool, you're the new yep. scouting director. Like, like that was the scene in the movie anyway. So, yeah, absolutely. And he's yep. been there for he's been there ever since. 
been there ever since. Yeah. Uh, but they've always, at least in the time that I've done this, I, I've had the chance to get to know a lot of people in the industry over the last handful of years. And I, I've kind of had a difficult time uh, connecting and like really getting to know folks in Oakland. They've always kind of played things tight to the vest, even though they're all, you know, rather, rather online, as I like to say. So um, I don't really have a good feel for what Oakland is going to do. I've heard, I, I had heard Jacob Wilson as of about a month ago, I'd heard Rhett Louder recently, and I'd heard Enrique Bradfield too, but mm. honestly, none of it, like some of the other team connections in that mock, I feel a little bit, uh, you know, better about, uh, but Oakland always seems to come secondhand. Yeah, it's a really interesting uh, club, really always has been at least um, for the last couple of decades in the the Billy Bean era, so to speak. Um so there's a there's a there's a handful of new first rounders in this mock. Uh, we've talked a, a little bit about a couple of weeks ago anyway. We talked a little bit about Nebraska shortstop uh, Bryce Matthews, who you have in this particular mock uh, going in round one. Um, I think you have him at 28 to the Houston Astros. Really interesting player, good athlete, uh, all that good stuff. But another one is Joe Whitman, the lefty at Kent State. Now. Left-handed pitching, college pitching, reaching the mid-90s. I mean, you can see why. Like, you don't even need to really go much further. You have him at 23 to Cleveland. Anywhere in that range makes sense for a guy doing what he's doing. But this this particular projection, Joe, is is pretty new. There there hasn't been a lot of this. Tell me why Joe Whitman fits here, not specifically to Cleveland, but fits in this range and how far he's come over the last year or so. Dude, his story is crazy. He So he goes to Purdue as a 19-year-old. He's there for two years. He pitches like five innings, six innings. He walks 12. I mean, he walks 18 batters per nine his two years at Purdue. So he transfers out of there, plays a summer in the Northwoods, performs a bit better, three walks in 20 innings in the Northwoods. I would say that is almost infinitely better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, ends up at Kent State this season. 81 innings, 100 strikeouts, 29 walks. He, I mean, he looks like a totally different player. His strikeout rate is through the roof. His walk rate is, frankly, even at the pro level, well above average. And now, you know, he goes to Katuit for the for the second uh, summer in a row, and he just got done last uh, on Sunday, five innings, nine strikeouts, no walks, touching 96 with a big slider and a changeup. You know, conventional scouts, old school scouts, they'll tell you like six foot four inch, 215 pound lefties that throw 96 with three pitches don't grow on trees. And there's a floor for that sort of player. Wait a minute. Hold the phone. Hold the phone. You're telling me I can't go pick Joe Whitman up off the street. You're telling me that that I can't go grab. I, I live in Mercer Island, Washington. You're telling me I can't go outside and just find a Joe Whitman. Uh, so you mentioned that's a prototypical first round left-hander right there is essentially what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, to the T now you can go find the Purdue version of Joe Whitman on Mercer Island and an adult baseball league. No doubt. (laughs) Uh, I love it. I love it. That's a, what a really, what a fascinating uh, kind of recent, you know, uh, surge, you know, for a guy like that. If I were, if I were Whitman, I was going to say if I were Joe, if I were Whitman, I would hang him up. I wouldn't throw again at Katuit. I just don't know. You know, you've you've gone to the Cape. 
You faced mm-hmm. good hitters. You gave up two hits. You didn't walk anybody. Nine strikeouts in five innings. You're the talk of the draft right now from a pitching perspective in a draft mm-hmm. that is starved for college pitching. Yeah. I would hang him up. Yeah. You got be, nothing be, left to prove. Be done for the summer. There's nothing else to gain. Yeah. Five innings, two hits, nine strikeouts, no walks. Nobody touched him after a season at Kent State where he struck out 181 innings. The people a lot of times will look at some of those leagues, the MAC, some of those other leagues. I remember when Chris Sale came out, I was like, yeah, but it's Florida Gulf Coast. Like, like who cares? The numbers in like pitcher numbers are easier to project. You can project those things a little bit easier. You can see stuff and see why the numbers are legit and project that a little bit easier. So this isn't like a hitter in in a smaller conference hitting 400 with 30 homers. Like the stuff matches up. It's something we don't really have maybe more today than than before. We don't have a thing for hitters where we go, "Well, what's the stuff look like?" We we don't really have that. Like we can look at some data, does he hit the ball hard, things like that, but we don't even really have like publicly anyway. We don't have measurements that tell us can this hitter hit velocity? Can this hitter hit a pitch, you know, in this area uh, on an O2 count when he's expecting a breaking ball? Can he hit the fastball? We don't have data like that. You have to mine it yourself. Um, but with pitchers, we can go, well, he's 93 to 96 and, you know, depth on the curveball and late bite and, you know, 28% swing and, you know, we have all of that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. What is, so, so tell me really good, Whitman. What what's the what's the ceiling on this guy then in in the draft you have him at uh, in in the twenties to Cleveland could somebody looking to maybe save a bit with their first like I look at the Cardinals for example now I'm not big on drafting for need you don't draft for need especially in the first round but if you think you have him with Bryce Eldridge who's a really interesting two way guy with big power and he throws a thousand miles an hour but if you think Bryce Eldridge and Joe Whitman have like you put the same grade on them essentially if you're the cardinals do you take whitman because you know traditionally speaking whitman's going to get to the big leagues almost assuredly and you need it like can you see something like that happening with a st louis or uh or a team like milwaukee who's going to run into some money issues with some of their starters the next couple of years or is the low 20s maybe the ceiling for women at this point uh honestly man i think he can climb higher and i and that he could hang up the cleats right now, and I think he could climb higher. I, I think there's enough high school talent in this class that teams are excited about the high school bats. The teams are excited about that they they don't think they're going to have a chance at in the second and third round, mm-hmm. unless they cut a deal in the first round. I think the White Sox make a lot of sense at 15. I think mm-hmm. the Cubs have done something similar with Jordan Wicks in the past. I wouldn't discount them. They've always kind of gone for the high school route in the second and third round as well. I think Colorado at nine, I, I know that seems really, really hot, but you got to remember Frank Mazzucato was ex- expected to go in the middle of the second round, what, two years ago? And he went seventh right. to the right. Royals. So right. always expect the unexpected. I think he could, you know, like I said, Colorado, maybe the Angels, maybe the Diamondbacks, the White Sox. Like we know, and you've you've suggested as such, that the Angels and the Diamondbacks are looking at pitching. Like I think there's a lot of teams that would like to find an arm in this class high, something that they know that will pan out, and then they can splurge a little bit in the comp rounds and the second round. So right. yeah, for a, for a class that is starved for pitching, I don't think I don't think Whitman could be in a better position. He's a fun pitcher to watch. Let me, let, me, 
let me throw you this. This is a great question for you. Knowing the stuff that Hurston Waldrop has, mm-hmm. but knowing that Hurston Waldrop has been beat up a lot, mm-hmm. and there's some mm-hmm. effort in his delivery, and he's mm-hmm. six foot one, and he's right handed. Is there a conversation to be had that Joe Whitman isn't a better, safer, just more overall well balanced pick than Hurston Waldrop? I'll tell you this, and this is the way I would lean as well. Um, there's at least one team that's entirely in the first round is entirely off of Waldrop. They're 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 not taking him. He could drop to the bottom of the draft where they pick and they're off him um, because of yeah. that. They're they're worried about that. They're worried about what happens when things unravel for him. Um, and and that's their projection at this point. And that's at the checker level. So this is getting into the scouting director's ear and it's probably going to win over. So this team's not. So if Waldrop's on the board when it, I'll just say the 20s, uh, this team's not taking them. So that's kind of how I lean to. I do have to worry about that. There are a lot of things I don't know about how he was used in between starts. There are a lot of things we don't know about. Um, what do they ask of their pitchers between starts? That's what we don't know in high school. We don't really even know that in college. You can ask the player. But we don't know how much they're throwing. We just don't. So I'd be worried about that as well. Um, been abused a little bit. That happens in college. A guy like Joe Women, yeah, you know, I, I think here's the thing. With We typically think of high school players as the more projectable level because there's more time and there's bodies that can fill out and and even growth. You know, sometimes a high school kid, 17, 18 years old, is 6'1", he ends up 6'3". Like, things like that happen. College, you're talking about a 21, 20, 21, 22 year old, probably not going to grow much, but women's already 6'4", 215. If I'm a big league club and I'm drafting in the middle of the round and I don't want to take a chance there, I don't like the the Blake Mitchells, the Noble Myers, the Colin Houks, the Aiden Millers, you know, guys like that, the Arjun Namalas, the guy, like if I'm not comfortable with paying the price for those guys, this is where a guy like Whitman falls into play even if he costs me basically slot because I can project that I can use that and I can, you know, look at the teams that are drafting in that area. You mentioned the white Sox and the Cubs. Those are teams that are trying to compete right now. Uh, the, the red Sox at 14 trying to compete right now, the giants trying to compete right now, the Orioles trying to compete right now, the brewers trying to compete right now. They could all use a big league lefty in their rotation inside of two years. So it fits. So, it's funny. I, I think you're right. If you think he's that good, where he belongs somewhere in that first round conversation, I don't see why a team in the in the teens, in the in the early to to mid, and even down to the late teens wouldn't say, "Yeah, Joe Whitman makes sense." I was really surprised to see that. Um, I had Whitman as a second rounder. That, that's the the buzz that I'd been hearing all along. But uh, that start in the Cape and his performance uh, at Kent State, I get it. Uh, not a, not a lot of lefties. I think what's interesting when we started this year, the Alabama lefty was the best lefty in the class. Am I right? Grayson hit. <laughs> he was crazy. The, and then he gets hurt. And now we have a guy like Joe Kent kind of stepping up in his place. And teams do look at things like that. Left-handed pitch. You get a little bit of a nudge when you're left-handed. So really interesting scenario yeah. kind of developing there. Give you a little, much. little peek behind the curtain. <clears throat> and this is um, a text that I got on Tuesday morning, uh, Wednesday morning. And it was an accidental text. <laughs> a oh, scouting boy. director. Yeah. Was not meant for me. <laughs> a scouting director texted me on Wednesday morning. And all he said was that boy Joe at Kent made himself a shitload of money. Mm. And mm, yeah. he quickly followed that up with, oops, wrong Joe. 
<laughs> and oh, I said, well, yes, he has. Yes, he has. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's so. good stuff. Yeah, uh, you miss bats left side. Uh, raw stuff is there throwing strikes. I mean, what, 29 walks and 81 innings? That's good enough. You know, they'll be able to help yeah. him out there too. It's not yeah. great, you know, command, but uh, there's always going to be, there's always going to be directors, Jason, that just don't, that they don't care for risk. Yeah. They don't care for high schoolers that have a four year ramp up. You know, Hurston Waldrop has, has you know, performance issues and things like that. Mm. And um, usually the first round is selected by general managers and scouting directors and the analysts who like the people like Hurston Waldrip, they start to take more effect in second, third, fourth round. So right. I think for that reason, I think there's a very good case to be had that I'm not saying that Whitman is better than Waldrip, but I am maybe saying in terms of the draft, Whitman goes before Waldrip. Mm, yeah. He certainly sounds safer, doesn't he? If you're betting on a guy so. to get to the big leagues inside of two years, healthy and throwing strikes. Yeah. I mean, Waldrip obviously has, um, the stuff to make him a top 10 pick, but, uh, interesting, good stuff there. Hey, um, the draft comes and then like two weeks later, three weeks later, the trade deadline, it's almost literally three exact weeks after the draft, the trade deadline hits. I think one of the interesting things that's developing this summer is when you, when you check out where we are in major league baseball, we're, we're 65 to 70 games in most clubs have played, uh, 65 to 70 games. When you look around the league, Joe, one of the things that I'm noticing is we're getting a lot of teams that we're expecting to win that aren't in a winning position right now, that aren't in a good spot. It doesn't mean they're out of it. I'm just saying they're not in a good spot. Like the San Diego Padres, not in a good spot. The Cubs, who spent a little over the winter, not in a good spot. They started off well, not in a good spot. Uh, the Philadelphia Phillies and the New York Mets, not in good spots. The Phillies are one game over 500. They're probably too close to consider in this particular uh, scenario that I'm I'm trying to build up here and doing a poor job of doing. Uh, Mets certainly fit here. Uh, I'm not sure if anybody in the American League West fits, but Cleveland, I think, fits this bill. This, Joe, might be a seller's market. If you are, and you know what? I'm going to throw the Blue Jays in here too. If you are a club that is, Pretty good roster. I'd say we'd say like the Blue Jays, pretty, pretty solid roster, capable of making the postseason. We've seen them do it. They're 38 and 32. They're only a couple of games out of a wild card spot. How strong that hold is, I don't know. But when you have opportunities to go out on the market and get a big return, if your ROI on something is bigger than expected, bigger than normal, you tend to consider it a little bit longer, whether you're buying a car, buying stock, buying a house. Wait, these shoes are on sale. Like you tend to give it longer consideration, right? And I just think there are a handful of clubs that might end up doing that this summer. Now, I threw the Blue Jays in there just for conversation's sake, but there are three teams I have in mind here, and I want to get your, your take on a couple of them. The Cleveland Guardians are 32 and 36 entering the weekend. They are two and a half back in the division because the American League Central sucks. <laughs> but they're six and a half back in the wild card. They might be a team that has to win their division to get into the postseason. Cleveland obviously doesn't spend money. We've heard rumors that they might shop Shane Bieber. Is this potentially an opportunity for that organization to go out and say, hey, we have this kid 
Josh Naylor, who's got three years of control left, who's a pretty good hitter and he's having a really good year. What do you give us for him? On top of Shane Bieber, uh, is this a time when Cleveland might at least field calls for Jose Ramirez? Because if they're ever going to trade Ramirez and get younger, it's got to be now. He's 30 years old and, and he's got six years left on his deal. Does Cleveland sound like the kind of team that wants to pay a guy 20 plus million dollars at 35, 36 years old? It surely doesn't seem like it. And they almost never let a guy run out his contract. It just seems like Cleveland might be in a position to take advantage of what I think is going to be a seller's market. There aren't going to be a lot of sellers. And it's odd yeah. that teams that were competing or that we expected to compete were playoff teams last year. They spend money are the teams we're talking about. Cleveland's one of them. The Cubs are another. The Giants are another. But Cleveland, g- give me your take on Cleveland and, and kind of maybe how you would approach the uh, the trade deadline if you're, uh, if you're the Guardians because they have some interesting pieces. But that farm system, while good, lacks some things. And they're not ready to compete next year the year after without Jose Ramirez and Shane Bieber. And it sounds like they might shop at least Shane Bieber out of the two. Man, if the AL Central wasn't so terrible, <laughs> like on a year in and year out basis, this would be such a self-explanatory answer. Mm-hmm. But they're two and a half out. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're four games under 500. They're two and a half out from leading the division. I, I think if, you, if you're here a month from now, it's the mm-hmm. middle of July, the all-star break is here. You're really fielding calls about the about the deadline. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can sell. I mean, I think you can parse some pieces that aren't moving the needle the needle for you, like in a Madrizario, you're not going to bring him back. Mm-hmm. So I think you, maybe you do that, but you know, for the sake of the fans, this is kind of the organization that you built. It's set to compete on a year in and year out basis because the division is so bad. You know, maybe you get hot in September, but I, honestly, I think the best thing for Cleveland right now would be for the team to to go on a seven or eight game losing streak, if I'm being totally honest with you, mm-hmm. and force them to sell into a seller's market. You should you should trade Shane Bieber, in yeah. my opinion. Let me ask you something. Else. Let me throw another uh, let me throw a little bit of a wrench into it. Tristan McKenzie was scratched from his Friday start with a sore right elbow. Uh, hope Tristan McKenzie's good. That's a kid we like. That's a quality kid. That's a quality player. He's a good arm. Uh, he's been good for them. Still has some pretty big upside. Still has a chance to grow into his body uh, and be an all-star level arm. But if that goes sour, does that change your mind if you're the Guardians? Because comp- every time you lose a player, like they're calling up, uh, they're calling up Tuki Toussaint to, to 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 throw in his place. Um, that's a pretty big step down at this point. Uh, you might, if, and, and here's the thing, if you're, if you're shopping Shane Bieber, are you actually trying to win this year? Like, let's say you go out and you trade on July 20th, well, no. like four or five days. Are you trying to right? So if you're shopping Shane Bieber, like who shouldn't be shopped at that point? You know, the thing that's interesting with Cleveland at this point is they can always, we, we always seem to be discussing these types of deals because they're always so stocked with pitching. Mm-hmm. Like they've always got three or four arms knocking on the door, ready to take someone's spot. They don't really have that anymore. I mean, Justin Campbell's out for the year. He was a second-round pick last year. Espino's out for the year. Mm -hmm. He's been beat up for the last few years. Gavin Williams is going to be really, really good. Right. And he's probably he probably should be in the in the rotation right now. Mm -hmm. But besides that, you know, Joey Cantillo and some of these other guys are they're, you know, Tanner Burns, they're 
little ways off and they haven't performed that well. So right. for that reason, for that reason, I think the best thing for the long-term health of the Cleveland Guardians would be a, a, a losing streak that forces them to sell a Shane Bieber and restock the cupboard a little bit and, and go into this draft wanting pitching. And I tell you the guy that they should move, and this is people are going to hate this. You should hold on to Jose Ramirez, mm-hmm. first of all. That's my opinion. You should move Emmanuel Class A. You've and, got him for four more years. He's a reliever. You have a $10 million club option in his age 31 season. Wow. Could you, I mean, could you ask for better control as an organization? They got the, the, the Padres gave up so much for Josh Hader mm-hmm. and the Mets gave up so much for Edwin Diaz. I just, this is, this is a better arm with more control. I mean, I, if I were the Guardians, I would move Class A for, you know, four, five premium prospects mm-hmm. right now to a team that needs back end help at the uh, at the back of their bullpen. This is uh, this is Edwin Diaz level value, is it not? Being signed, without question, being signed yeah. to that deal was it five years, twenty million dollars with club options through twenty twenty eight. Dirt cheap. He's twenty five now. You mentioned you know, he'd be around thirty, thirty one when he's done. Uh, with that deal, but relievers tend to age fine. Like you're not talking about 30, 31 year old relievers falling off a cliff. I mean, we're watching uh, Kenley Jansen and Craig Kimbrell do it well into their thirties. That's a really interesting uh, thing that I hadn't really thought of. Now strikeout rates down a little bit this year, but we're still talking about a really good performing arm and you know, he throws hard and he's pretty much uh, pretty much a slam dunk late in a game. That's a really interesting, but again, I go back to if you're trading Shane Bieber, and you're trading Emmanuel Classe, or you're willing to do it, should Jose Ramirez really be off the table? Like, because, like, if you're trading, and, and you mentioned you're trading for prospects or at least very young players, maybe unproven players that you really like, Jose Ramirez is going to be 31 years old in September. If you're ever going to trade Jose Ramirez, it's now, like, or it should be now. Now is better than a year from now. Now is better than not necessarily the winner, but now is better than doing it a year from now. If you trade Shane Bieber and Emmanuel Classe for young, unproven talent, what is Jose Ramirez there for other than the sell tickets? Well, I mean, I think you can still build a contender in the AL Central <laughs> without Emmanuel Classe or Shane it. Bieber in 2024. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> like like Jose Ramirez, you have a you have a perennial MVP candidate who's mm-hmm. signed and and loyal and committed. Five more in years. your organization, mm-hmm. you know, for five more of his prime years, mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything that you could get back for Jose Ramirez, especially now that he's signed to a, we'll call it a, it's still a team friendly deal, but you know, it, yep. there's money on that contract. Mm-hmm. So he loses a little bit of inherent value there. You can still build a, a competitive team in 2024. If you move Bieber and class a for say, I mean, man, you could get like seven you could get like seven prospects that fit in Cleveland's top 15 prospects. You mm-hmm. could probably get three or four top 100 prospects for just those two arms. Right. Plus, you know, plus, you know, the Josh Naylor role type players mm-hmm. that make a team tick. Yeah. Interesting. Cleveland's in, a, in an interesting spot. The Cubs, it's a little bit of a different, uh, different roster. Now they've added a few things. Um, I think the interesting one is, is Cody Bellinger. Uh, because essentially, when you look at Bellinger's uh, situation now, um, you know he'd struggled the last couple of years 
look at his contract situation. Uh, the Cubs went out, spent a little bit of money. Stroman is there. They gave uh, they gave Bellinger seventeen and a half million dollars. It's a mutual option for twenty twenty four, which essentially is Cody Bellinger can opt out or the team can opt out. Um, he's played just thirty eight games. Was having a good season. Um, you know when he got hurt, he's back now. Uh, if he continues and is healthy and plays the season. Uh, you know, out until the trade deadline, he's going to have, he's going to generate interest. And the Cubs are in a position right now where it does not make a whole lot of sense for them not to trade Cody Bellinger. Uh, because either way, he's going to opt out and go out and try to get a three, four, five, six year deal after this year, as long as he's performing. But there are other names on that Cubs roster that are interesting. I mentioned Marcus Stroman before. Like he's having a, he's having a career year. Um, he's, he would probably be one of the best pitchers on the market. Shane Bieber, Eduardo Rodriguez would be right there with him. Uh, Stroman's not a guy who pounds the zone necessarily. He's not a big strikeout guy. He's a ground ball guy, but he's eating innings. He's over 90 innings on the season so far in, uh, in 15 starts and he can opt out after 2023. So teams are going to look at it. The Cubs should look at this as well. He's a rental. We're selling two months of Marcus Stroman here. The Cubs, if you're the Cubs, now you look at their current situation, it's not like Cleveland. The Cubs are three games back in the NL Central because the NL Central also isn't very good, but there are three teams ahead of them in the NL Central. They are four and a half back in the wild card with several teams ahead of them. The Mets, the Padres, the Reds, the Brewers, the Phillies, the Giants, the Marlins, and the Dodgers. The Cubs should sell. Am I wrong? I mean, why is there no talent in the middle of the country? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's not a ton. How there. is it that the Pirates are still leading the Central one game over mm -hmm. 500? I would normally say, Jason, yeah, they're in fourth in the Central. Like, come on, sell it. Like, mm -hmm. you got a bunch of guys that aren't going to be back anyways. But with all due respect to the Reds and the Pirates, they're not rosters that look like they're built for 162 games. Sure. So the Brewers. I would expect to win that division. Mm -hmm. You're, what you have to ask yourself is how far behind the Brewers are the Cubs? So I think this is another question, unfortunately, as a cop-out answer. I think you kind of asked this question a month from now. Uh, my expectation would be that the Cubs still struggle and they have no business holding on to, you know, if they don't think they're going to make the playoffs at all, they have no business holding on to Marcus Stroman. Right. They have no business holding on to Cody Bellinger. They have no business hanging on to Trey Mancini or Michael Fulmer. They've got some good pieces to move. Drew Smiley. Mm. Drew Smiley's a very good piece to move. The thing is, the Cubs have spent so much money recently only to seemingly move it at the deadline. It, it, it feels almost like they are spending money to buy prospects, does it not? I mean, Yeah, and at some point, though, like as a fan and if you're running that team, Jed Hoyer, um, you want to start winning at the big league level. But there comes a time when you look at the Cubs, they were what, like 15 and 13 uh, on May 1st. And now they're four games under 500. So they're six games under 500 the last, you know, month and a half or so. Um, and everybody's passing them. But at some point, you, you want to start turning things into victories at the big league level, but you can't ignore the facts. If you have six teams to climb, and you have six games to make up. You're you're really not in it, you know. And if you have rentals, like what are you doing? So you make a choice. So you have to at least shop those guys, right? You have to if their status does not change, 
and they're in basically the same position in late July. You have to at least shop those guys. I'm not saying you have to trade Without them. Question. If you don't like the return for Cody Bellinger, you're like, screw it. We're just going to keep him. He's comfortable here. We like him. Maybe we'll try and talk him into staying here and offering him a deal. But if we trade him, you know, it's a completely different story. We have no control over the player. We we don't control his usage. We don't control how he goes about things. We don't know anything. I think that's probably where the Cubs are right now. Um, the other team, Joe, is the Giants. The team that there are two teams in Major League Baseball that make no sense to me. Only two. Like, like I'm not saying I agree with the way the Reds do business, but it makes sense. I know what they're doing. I know what the Pirates are doing. I know what the Rays are doing. I know what the A's are doing. I hate that too, but I actually know what they're doing. I understand it. I don't understand what the Rockies are doing, and I don't understand what the San Francisco Giants are doing. And I have a friend in the front office there, and he's tried to explain it to me, and it still makes no sense. I'm getting it from the horse's mouth. And it still <laughs> makes no sense to me. So if we flip over to that that Giants roster, right now they're in a little better position than the Cubs. When we look at, here it is in, in mid-June, uh, the San Francisco Giants are fringe contenders, I, I, I think at least, and, and have a chance to improve their stand. They're 36 and 32. They're in one of the wild card spots right now. They're four and a half games back in the division with the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks ahead of them. I'm not saying they should be aggressive sellers, but look at that roster. What are they trying to do here? It, it's it's remarkable. They, they signed Mitch Haniger. He's out. He got hit, and he's out. Who saw that coming? You have Ross Stripling on the IL. Alex Wood is on the IL. Robert Perez is on the IL. Um, Michael Conforto is actually hitting. You have 57-year-old Brandon Crawford playing third base. Um, J- J.D. Davis spent some time in there. I think he's off now or or is soon. It's just you have a lot of older players and players that aren't long term for you. Like Mike Yastrzemski is a really good role player, really good like seven hole hitter, and but he's thirty three years old this summer. Like, yeah. are you just hanging on to these guys for Austin Slater's had a pretty good, you know, late career. He's thirty years old already. Why are you keeping these guys for the long haul, paying them a bunch of arb numbers? when you could trade them and actually get better for the long, I just, I don't understand what the giants are doing. I I don't know what it is that they're trying to do, what they want to do other than we're trying to win. And we're just doing it in a very strange manner. I I think they have a lot of pieces where even if they're in it and hold a wild card spot, I could see them maybe trying to move someone. I could see them maybe trying to move, you know, Alex Cobb, or I can see them maybe trying to move, uh, you know, the Rogers boys uh, out of the bullpen. Yeah. Uh, I, I could absolutely see something like see something creative to take advantage of a seller's market. I'm not even going to sit here and act like I know what's going on in San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> Here's what's because great about it. It seems like they, they attack every season from a transactional standpoint. Different. Yeah. You know, how much different does this team look without stating the obvious mm-hmm. with Aaron Judge? Right. Like, sure. Or Carlos just Correa. A, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like the tact at in July is just so different if if they've got one of those two players. But as is, they have a bunch of 30 to 33-year-old veterans that still have a couple of good years left in them in expiring contracts either this year or next year. And they're just in this middling place. It's a middling, you know, farm system. It's a middling roster with with middling veterans and the thing that makes the Giants tick, in my opinion, is they have so much money to spend. Mm-hmm. So it's like every offseason they can reset and they're going to, you know, you look at their payroll. 
they're going to have 45, $50 million come off their books mm -hmm. in Wood, Crawford, Peterson, uh, Junis, and Perez. They're mm -hmm. all coming off the books this summer and probably Alex Cobb. I, I don't think that they'll bring out Alex Cobb back for 10 million. So you Conforto, might have 55 Conforto million. could opt out as well. So they could have another 18 million on top of that. Yeah, he's, he's a 50 like 50 for me. 18 million for a 31 year old Conforto. Although, if you think you can get a three or four year deal, he probably does. He's having a good opt out. So, too, so, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, like this team could have as much as like 75 million dollars roll off their books mm. and i guarantee you they're going to go into this offseason you know looking to transact as, Pro as probably looking to so. probably looking to transact another probably, and you another know 32 year old outfielder <laughs> i would think that matt chapman if if there was a place that matt chapman is going to land mm. san francisco is as good a bet as any place yeah that's a really good point um, they don't have an obvious answer at that spot unless they're moving Casey Schmidt uh, there. Uh, they do have J.D. Davis, but he can be moved to first, and they have Tyro Estrada to play uh, to play second base or shortstop if they have to. Yeah, that's a it's it's an interesting roster, but only from that standpoint. They have a bunch of thirty somethings, and at some point, <laughs> doesn't that have to change to some extent? Either have a bunch of have more long term guys or have some youth come in uh really interesting you know here's what's hilarious about the the giants too something else that's hilarious about the giants if you go to their website right now mlb.com slash giants I'm, I'm i'm imploring you to do that if you have an opportunity uh i'm talking to you joe and i'm talking to anybody out there listening and tell me what their slogan says <laughs> nothing like it boy if that wasn't true <laughs> <laughs> that's true <laughs> Yeah, there's nothing like it. I mean, you kind of <laughs> look so at some weird. of the other high paying orgs like, you know, the the Yankees have the big fish and mm -hmm. the Phillies have the big fish now. And Houston is the developmental, you know, machine. So is the Dodgers. Mm -hmm. That's not really the Giants. They just have a really bloated payroll with a bunch of $16 million contracts or $12 million contracts of guys that they know can roll out and get two and a half wins for them year in and year out. And you know, run into 90 wins, yeah. which is a fine tact, but ah, yeah, I think the deadline is going to be fascinating. I think the deadline is going to be fascinating because people are worried that there aren't going to be enough sellers. There are going to be enough sellers because it, it's, I think there's going to be one or two teams out there that's going to be like, I'm holding some cards here and I'm going to wait. Who's it going to be? Until the market. I, I don't know. I think someone's going to do it, whether it's San Francisco or the Cubs or the Guardians or the Blue Jays. I think there's some obvious clubs that I was going to ask you uh, before we and let, let's do that before we go. If you're the Red Sox at this point, you're not having a you're not having what I would call a terrible year. You're one game under 500, but you're five games back in the wild card. You're not winning the division. You're 13 games back in the loss column to the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, you're 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 pretty much toast if you don't make a run here the next couple of weeks. Do you blow up that? I don't mean blow it up like full scale rebuild. Do you blow up that roster pretty hard if you have the opportunity to at the trade deadline yes. and over the winter like that? Yes. It seems like they need the overall, right? Yes. Maybe that's oh, with, the team that without, tips the scale at the deadline. Without question. Yeah, I mean they're like listen the 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 Red Sox have payroll flexibility next year. It's kind of weird. Once Heim Bloom came over to Boston, it feels as though he hasn't gained a good foothold for how to spend money. Like he's still uncomfortable spending money that he didn't have in Tampa Bay. Like mm -hmm. he's just kind of thrown some some weird money at Trevor Story and he's thrown some weird money at, you know, some of these different players. Justin Turner got a bunch of money. Mm -hmm. um, 
so yeah, I mean, I would move Turner, I would move Duval, Verdugo, like I would get this farm system back in a place where you've got reinforcements and then I'd go into the offseason and I'd buy the hell out of the pitching market. Yeah. That's what I'd do if I was Boston. Yep. Yep. I'm with what you. Do they have, what do they have? 35 games left against teams in the AL East that are above them? 40 games left? <laughs> right. Those are tough teams, man. Yeah. It's probably not going to go well for the Red Sox. Now, here's the thing. It's baseball. We could look up in a month, Joe, and we're talking, and the Red Sox are nine games over 500. And I wouldn't be shocked. I would be surprised, but I would not be shocked because, well, again, baseball. I would like to go on record by saying I would be shocked. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Just like I, I look around, like where are you getting those innings, man? <laughs> like, like here's the thing. Like um, the 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 Red Sox are. Which maybe the most interesting thing about the Red Sox from here until like the trade deadline time is when you look at their schedule and how they performed against those teams. So they have the Yankees and then they're on the road, Minnesota and Chicago teams that are either worse than them record wise or about the same. Then it's Miami. Then it's at Toronto. Then they have Texas and then they have Oakland. Like this is a that that's that's the rest of their first half. And then they start the second half after the break at the Cubs, not a good team, at the Oakland A's. And then they have the Mets who haven't played well. Then they have two against Atlanta and then three against San Francisco. That's a lot of mediocre. So really to to, to make to put together some sort of a run leading up to the trade deadline, they really only have to be decent to solid. They don't even need to be good because their schedule allows. I mean, shouldn't they win five out of six? against Oakland, that's four games over 500 right there by themselves. So I think there's an opportunity there because of who they're playing and when they're catching teams like the Cubs and and the Mets when things aren't really going that well. So I don't know. Maybe Boston is that team. Maybe Boston's kind of the wild card in uh, in this trade deadline because if they put just about everybody on the market, that's going to tip things in, uh, in, in the buyer's direction just a little bit. Yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah, fun stuff. I'm always trying to figure out the deadline. I was told a long time ago by Keith Law, one of the most underrated and unappreciated by the public skills of a front office, skills of a general manager and the people he brings in to manage a a roster. One of those skills is the most underrated skill is assessing markets. And that means being able to kind of project within reason what a market is going to look like because you don't want to go, you know, balls to the wall at the deadline. If you think the market, the trade market and the free agent market over the winter is going to be in your favor. So I think teams right now are thinking about, and maybe that's one of the reasons why the free agency was so hot this past winter. Teams were like, yeah, we're not going to get the opportunity to make trades, you know, over the next couple of cycles. So we're just going to spend more money at the deadline. That Red Sox team that you mentioned uh, with Bloom in there, I think the Red Sox are basically trying to be the rich version of the Tampa Bay Rays. And what do we always say about the Rays, Joe? What do we always say about teams trying to be the Rays? Don't be the Rays. Don't try to don't be try the to be the Rays. Yeah, don't try to be the Rays. Yeah, they're the unicorn. So, uh, good stuff. Uh, we'll talk again next week, Joe. I uh, really appreciate it. This has been the FSS Plus podcast. Talk next week. So just chill till the next episode.